Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you'd open up a Bible to Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2 in the Old Testament, that's where we're going to begin momentarily. We're not going to be there very long, but we will use the thoughts that are articulated in Jeremiah chapter 2 to help set up all the thoughts of our study this morning. And as you're finding a Bible and as you're getting settled in for this part of our worship, let me join in the welcome from earlier. It is great to see everybody on this soggy and damp Lord's Day morning, but it is the day that the Lord has made. And so we're going to rejoice. We're going to be glad in that. We're just appreciative of the presence of all. As was mentioned earlier, we've got a good 15 or 20 of our folks that are out of town and a few that are sick. Uh, but we've got more than enough guests that are kind of filling in some of those uh, empty spots. And we appreciate so very much that you're here today. We've got some uh, old folks who have, who have long-time members here that are back visiting with us. Glad to have our new brother Morgan here with us this morning. And just everybody to be here today as we worship God in spirit and in truth. We want to continue today our year-long preaching theme on taking sin seriously. The first In January and in February, the first couple months of this year, we preached a couple of lessons about some specific sins and how we do need to think more soberly and seriously about those particular behaviors. This morning, though, we want to kind of broaden that. We want to kind of talk in more general terms. We want to talk just about our attitude towards sin. And that's going to come right out of Jeremiah chapter 2. Read with me here. In verses 21 and 22, as God speaks through His prophet Jeremiah to the people of Israel, in Jeremiah 2 and verse 21, He says, Yet I planted you as a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain." The stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord God. A couple of years ago, I was preaching in a gospel meeting up in Louisville. And on Tuesday night, I remember the specific night, is on the Tuesday night of that meeting, I was invited to go out to eat with one of the families uh, from the congregation to go out to eat at Cracker Barrel before services. And so, excited about that, I like eating at Cracker Barrel. And I should tell you, I do not consider Cracker Barrel necessarily like a, a black tie establishment, the kind of place where you've got to get all dressed up to go and eat at. However, that evening, I was going to be preaching, and so I needed to go ahead and be dressed and be ready so that we could be ready to go straight from the restaurant right to the church building. So I did have my tie, had my suit on, had, had the whole nine yards on. And I was, in fact, as well, I was, remember, I was wearing a, a white tie, not unlike the white tie that I am wearing this morning. And some of you are already snickering because you know where this story is headed, but hear me out here. I ordered the meatloaf, loved the meatloaf at Cracker Barrel, and when the server brought it out, I found that it was a little bit dry, and so I asked, could I please have some ketchup? She brings out a brand new bottle of Heinz ketchup, had the kind of the squirt top on it, And so as I turned the bottle upside down to begin shaking it and loosening it up, and as soon as I opened the cap, I kid you not, the ketchup leaped out of the bottle and attacked me. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. It attacked me, creating this big giant red glob right there on my bright white tie. I then did what I suppose every idiot does in that circumstance. I took a napkin and got it wet and started dabbing at it. Yes, that really helps, doesn't it? 
I imagine that all dry cleaners have a little old lady who's in the back, and whenever people bring in stuff with stains on it, she just sits there and dabs at it with a napkin for 15 or 20 minutes until it's clean. No, that's not how you get that clean. It makes it worse, and I found out that it makes it worse because by the end of our dinner, I was left with this big, gigantic, embarrassing stain right there on my tie. Now, fortunately, it was on the lower part of my tie. And so that evening when I got up to preach, and actually when I got to the church, I would put my suit jacket on, button it up like I'm doing today, and nobody was any wiser to it except the family that I was with. However, I did have to make kind of that walk of shame from my table at the restaurant all the way out to the parking lot with everybody looking. Look at that goofball in the big fashion statement that he's making right there on his tie. Now, that's my story. And I would guess that most of you, you have your own memorable stain stories. Maybe you got a new dress and you wore it to church one Sunday and as soon as you got out of the car, you ended up rubbing against the car parked next to you and got a big grease stain right there on your brand new dress. Or of course, if you've got kids, stains are just, they're just an everyday experience, aren't they? Kids are out there playing and grinding in the grass and in the dirt and in the mud. They're putting markers and crayons all over their clothes and their body. And I am sure that I am not alone here. I am sure that many of you have also commemorated a fine meal by wearing some of it. We all know about the embarrassing and unseemly nature of stains. Let me ask you this this morning. What do you think about the stain of sin? That passage that we just read in Jeremiah 2 and verse 22 says that in the eyes of God, sin stains us. That we are, as one translation says, we are marked by our iniquities. That sin is, in a very real way, a giant ugly blot before the eyes of the Lord. And this is, in fact, a metaphor that the Bible uses with great regularity. Just think about all of the passages in the Bible that talk about being washed or being cleansed. Well, what exactly are we trying to wash away? What exactly are we trying to be cleansed from? Well, we're trying to wash away that stain, that stain of sin. We're trying to be made clean and be pure in the eyes of our God. Sin stains our soul. What I want to ask you and really kind of press you, you have to use your imagination a little bit this morning. What I want to ask you about is, what if that was more than just a metaphor? What if that was more than just a figure of speech that was employed by Jeremiah and other of the Bible writers to describe the ugliness of sin? What if, what if when you sinned, a real literal stain appeared right on you. What if when you sinned, right on you appeared a stain? Visible. And yes, this is that tie. I've kept it in my closet for the last couple of years for this very purpose. This is going to be your visible reminder today. What if every time that you sinned, A big, giant, ugly stain appeared right on you, big and large, the stain of sin visible on your person. Well, this morning, I want to explore that idea. I want to think about the idea of sin as a stain. And I do want to do that by taking this biblical figure of speech 
and looking at it from a very literal point of view. What if when you sinned, there appeared a stain on you? How would that cause you to rethink sin? What would your attitude be about sin? How would that change your life? Well, let's just start that off by saying that if sin were a literal stain, I think we would all get really interested really quick in being sin-free. I think that's probably the first thing we would try to figure out. Because if when I sin, I'm going to have this big, ugly blot. I mean, right there where everybody else can see it. If that's going to be on me just all the time, then I would just rather not sin. I'll just see if maybe I could just give up this sinning stuff altogether. And you know what? We would definitely have some strong motivations to be sin-free, wouldn't we? Think about this, young people. If you tell a lie to your parents, going to lie to them about where you were and what you were doing, in hopes that they're never going to find out, I can lie to them and they're never going to find out, oh, that doesn't work now because, ah, the stain, the stain would rat you out. Or think about this, if I come to church and I'm harboring a grudge against one of my brothers or my sisters, and I maybe go through the pleasantries and I shake their hand, but in my mind I'm thinking, I hate your guts, I can't stand you. That stain going to appear going to rat you out, going to make it clear the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Or if I'm partaking of the Lord's Supper, and I'm doing that in an unworthy kind of manner, I'm not examining myself, I'm not thinking about Jesus, not not really focusing upon the cross, everybody would know about that. My stain would make clear that my heart was not right. Just think about that. Think about how embarrassing that kind of thing would be. Think about if I was walking down the street, And I'm a person that is filled easily with prejudice and and racism in my heart. And I see someone of of a different nationality. Someone with a different colored skin. Oh, the stain would rat me out and would say, hey, this guy's a racist. Oh man, I think pretty quickly. I'd be doing everything that I could to control my thoughts, to control my words, to control my actions. Wouldn't you? You know, the truth of the matter is, sin's best friend is secrecy. Sin's best friend is, shh, don't let anybody know. Sin loves darkness. Would you find John the third chapter, please? In John chapter 3, Jesus speaks of this very thing. In John chapter 3, verse 16 is the famous verse from this passage, but a lot of times people don't continue on reading to see what Jesus says. Look in verse 19. In John 3 and verse 19, this is the judgment That light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Sin loves to be anonymous. Isn't that what's fueling the internet pornography boom here in the last 10-15 years? You know, there used to be a certain amount of risk if you wanted to view pornographic material. You had to travel all the way to that side of town. And you ran the risk of people seeing you going into that video store. Or maybe someone might notice you coming out of that theater. Not anymore. Don't worry about any of that anymore. You can download whatever kind of pornographic material you want with just the click of a button or even with just the press of a a finger on a smartphone. You can do all of that anonymously. No one ever has to know about that. 
Or have you ever noticed as well? You ever notice how most like clubs and bars, they don't have windows? Especially like those girly bars? You know, if you drive by a McDonald's, a McDonald's has windows in there like the size of Rhode Island. You drive by McDonald's, you can see exactly who's eating in McDonald's that day. But if you drive by a bar, it's not like that, is it? It's all boarded up. It's all blocked off. It's all dark in there. Why? Jesus tells us why. Because men love the darkness. Sin loves darkness. Sin loves secrecy. And that is exactly why we tell ourselves things like, Oh, no one will ever know. I'll never get caught. Those are the lies that the devil feeds into us. And those are the lies that we tell ourselves. Why? So that we can keep on sinning. But if sin creates a literal stain, well, then that's all over with. That's all changed now. Because the mask, the mask has been taken off. There's no more of this pretending. There's no more of this anonymity. There's no more secrets. The stain of sin reveals the truth. Who wants to sin now? I think we'd be interested in getting shed of that. Who wants to walk around and say, hey, look at me. I sinned. Look at what I did today. I was looking at porn today. Hey, I was lusting at this woman over here today. Who wants to do that? And let me ask you this. Just how much could you actually enjoy sin, knowing that it causes this hideous stain to appear? Oh, I think we'd really get interested now in stopping sin. And interestingly, that is the biblical viewpoint all along. Do you have Romans 6 queued up? Look in Romans chapter 6. In Romans 6, Paul makes it clear that this idea of putting a stop to sin, that should not come as a shocking revelation to us. In Romans 6, look in verse 1. In Romans 6 and verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No! By no means! How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul dares to say that Christians should, Christians should stop sinning. Somebody says, are you kidding me? Stop sinning. That can't be true. That's exactly what Paul says. Drop on down in the chapter. Look in verse 11. In verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. I wonder, I wonder how many of us, after reading passages like that, how many of us have ever said to ourselves, you know what? I believe today I'm just going to stop sinning. How many of us have woke up one morning and just said, you know what, I'm done with that. That's a dead end. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to be involved in that anymore. No. No, that's usually not what we say to ourselves. Somehow our attitude about that is more along the lines of, well, you know, that's, that's just really kind of between me and the Lord. That's just my business and His. And only He really knows. And you know, if I really get a handle on this sin business today, well, that'll be great, but... But if I don't get around to that till tomorrow, or next week, or next month, or maybe even ever, well, well, what's the real big deal? I mean, we're all sinners anyway, right? You know, what's the point in trying to be sin-free when all i got to do is just go to God and get some of that forgiveness? In fact, that's what the Romans were trying to do. Just go back and get some more of that forgiveness from God. That's God's grace. That's God's mercy. And the more you sin, the more you appreciate God's grace and mercy. Oh, what a terrible attitude that is. And how our attitude would absolutely be changed at its core if there was this big, 
public stain on us that marked us for our sins. In fact, not only would a stain like that alter our desire to sin, but I think it would fundamentally change our understanding about sin. Because I think, secondly, what we would come to realize is we come to realize that no sin is worse than any other. Would you find James, the second chapter, please? In James chapter 2, in this wonderful epistle of such great practical wisdom, James says this in James chapter 2, look in verses 10 and 11. In James 2 and in verse 10, James says this, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Hold that thought and think about this. Let's kind of see how maybe all of this would play out if sin were a literal stain. What if, what if in cold blood you took another person's life, you committed murder, what would happen? You'd get a stain. No doubt about that. Everybody's going to get a stain if you commit murder. Alright? What if you cheated on your spouse? Or what if you engaged in sexual relations with someone else's spouse? What would happen if you committed adultery? Yeah, you'd get a stain for that too. Alright? What if you drank alcohol and you got drunk? I mean, you just got completely lost your sobriety altogether and you got drunk. What would happen if you were involved in drunkenness? What would happen? Well, the Bible's pretty clear about that. You'd get a stain for that also. What if you went to the store and you shoplifted? And I'm not talking about something big. What if you shoplifted just like a banana? You know, you're doing it just kind of for, for kicks and giggles. You shoplifted a banana, what would happen? Stealing is stealing. You get a stain for that as well. Okay, what if you got on Facebook and you used some dirty words on there? You posted something mean and ugly about somebody else on Facebook. What would happen? That doesn't seem really that bad, does it? You'd get a stain for that as well. You see, I could just enumerate a long list here, but the point is, it's all the same before the Lord. All of those things would make the stain of sin appear. James says that every bit of that stuff, it would all be lumped into the same big ugly bucket, the bucket marked S-I-N. And all of those things would mark me as a sinner. They're all the same. What a breakthrough that would be for us. To see then that no sin is worse than any other. At least not in the eyes of God. That there is no such thing as a little white lie. There is no such thing as a victimless crime. There is no such thing as, well, that's a sin, but it doesn't really matter in the big picture. No. This would be a wake-up call that I think a lot of us probably need. Because what we're always wanting to do is we're always wanting to kind of rank and judge sin based on its earthly effects or its earthly consequences. We want to kind of compartmentalize our sin in those various ways. And that's why we act and we tell ourselves that you know, telling a little white line, it's, it's not nearly as bad as going and stealing something from the store. Or, you know, who in the world, who would lump a little bit of gossip in the same category as murder and killing someone? Well, that's how we want to think. That's what we tell ourselves. But that's exactly why James comes along. That's why all of Scripture comes along to tell us what we need to hear. And that is that sin is sin is sin is sin. 
If I could borrow 1 John chapter 5 and verse 17, John says it even more plainly. All wrongdoing is sin. It's all on the same level to the Lord. Whether it scandalizes the community, whether it damages people's faith in the government, whether it hurts and destroys a marriage, or even if only that person and the Lord knows about it, the only question that God has to ask at the end of it is, did it violate my will? Did it transgress my law? Did it go against my written word? If the answer to any of those questions is yes, then it is sin. We would be stained by it. No matter how big or no matter how small we may consider it to be. And that would necessarily mean, thirdly, that as we begin to look around at others, as we think about sin as a literal stain, that means that we would start viewing others in a completely different light. In fact, if you look at Luke chapter 18, I think I can actually show you a passage that just really wouldn't work, just really wouldn't make a whole lot of sense, if people were visibly stained by sin. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable here. It is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. In Luke 18, beginning in verse 9, in Luke 18, verse 9, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. Jesus said, Two men went up in the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. The tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, he went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, I'm just really not so sure that Jesus would even need to tell that parable in a world where people are literally stained by sin. Because don't you imagine that somewhere in the middle of that Pharisee's rambling about how great I am and how sinful everybody else is, don't you imagine the tax collector's going to come along and peck him on the shoulder and say, Hey buddy, look. You've got the same stain that I do, that that guy does, that that guy does, and that gal does. We are all the same. I think there actually be a lot of passages in the Bible that would be very, very different if sin created a literal stain. I'm not so sure that Paul would have to say that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Why? Because every day, all day, we would be reminded of that truth. We would see it with our eyes and we would know that it's true. Now, for certain, as we go about our day, we would recognize that there are some who are without that stain. We'd be reminded, for example, that children, children are not born in sin. And we'd be reminded as well that there are others who may be due to being born with with mental impairments and handicaps, that they are not responsible. And thus, those precious souls, they would never have to wear the ugly stain of sin. But for the rest of us, And that's the majority of us. We would know, wouldn't we? We would know that we are all sinners. Now I know somebody's probably thinking right about now, oh come on Josh, the mass murderer or the terrorist, those people we see on the news, 
that guy would be just covered in stains, wouldn't we? Or his stain would just be bigger than everybody else's. Come on. I mean, seriously, people who are so wicked like that, they'd have more spots on them than a Dalmatian puppy, wouldn't they? That's got to be the way it is. And eh, not so fast. Because as soon as you start thinking in those terms, then it's not long before you become just like that Pharisee in Luke the 18th chapter. You know, don't kid yourself. The Pharisees, they knew all about sin. Pharisees did not see themselves as sinless. They knew all about the sacrifices for sin that went on at the temple every single day. They knew about the annual day of atonement for sin. No Pharisee, I don't believe any Pharisee, would have ever been bold to say, I'm sin free. That man, as he prayed in Luke the 18th chapter, he knew about sin. He understood sin. But what he did not understand is that he was just like that tax collector. Who was just like that guy and that guy and that girl and that guy. That man's problem was he held himself apart and above others. Somehow he did not see himself as deeply stained with sin. He did not see himself as being anywhere near the same category as that tax collector. I'm so much better than him. Jesus tells that parable in order to say, you think again, sir. It doesn't work like that. In fact, I believe if sin sin were a literal stain, it would cause people to start seeing others the way that God sees people. In Romans 2 and in verse 11, the Bible says that with God... There is no respect of persons. There is no partiality. God looks down at earth and what does He see? He sees souls. That's what He sees. And we would be forced to see others in the exact same way. If sin were a literal stain, we would realize that we all have sin and that we're all in the same boat. Whether you've got ten sins or ten thousand sins or ten million sins that I'm not really any different than that mass murderer on TV. I'm not any different than the crooked politician telling lies on the campaign trail. I'm not any different than the adulterer or the homosexual or the thief or anybody else. I, just like them, am a sinner. And all that I would need to do to confirm that hard reality is to just simply look at my stain. To look at my ugly stain of sin. We are all stained by sin. And hopefully that would then cause us to realize this final point. And that is that we would need the Lord to remove that stain. Because it is only God who can remove the stain of sin. In a world where if you sinned, you had this big public mark, I do think we would all very much, we'd want to try to get it off, wouldn't we? We'd want to get that thing just removed as fast as we could. We wouldn't want to be seen and known and labeled as a sinner. We'd want to get that branding off of us. Get it off of me. We'd be dabbing it with the wet napkin, doing everything we could to get it off of ourselves. But we realized, I can't do it myself. How in the world am I going to get that off? Remember the text that we began with in Jeremiah 2 verse 22? Jeremiah talks there about the folly of trying to get it off yourself. Jeremiah says, though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord. You can scrub and scrub all you want. It's not going to get off through your own efforts. The stain is only going to be removed by the power of God. The stain is only going to be removed through the power of forgiveness. Where I come to God, And I seek pardon and forgiveness from the one who I actually sinned against. 
Look in the Psalms with me in Psalm 51. We want to do like David did. In Psalm 51, David says there in verse 4, David says against you, he's talking to God, against you, against you only have I sinned against, Lord. And so I'm now asking you, verse 7, to wash this stain from me so that I can be whiter than snow. I didn't even ask Stuart to lead that song a few moments ago, but it was the perfect introductory song to this lesson. I want to be whiter than snow. And we need the attitude of David here, where we come to God with that kind of penitent heart, and we come to God on His terms in order to obtain that forgiveness. Somebody may maybe asked, well, well how does how's God do that? How does God take care of my stain? How is God able to say that you are forgiven and the stain is going to be gone? How is that possible? Where exactly does the stain go? Does God got a big gigantic box of industrial strength Ajax up in heaven and He just kind of pours it out all over us? Is that how the stain gets taken care of? No. The answer to the problem of the stain of sin is all wrapped up in Jesus the Christ. Would you find John chapter 1 with me please? In John chapter 1, as John the Baptist gets to lock eyes with Jesus for the first time, in John 1 and in verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the vernacular of this sermon, John's saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who removes the stain of sin. We'll see that again. Look in the book of Revelation, please. In Revelation chapter 7. In Revelation 7, in these wonderful visions of heaven, there's some rejoicing going on. And in verse 13, somebody asks, well, who are these people rejoicing? You know, who are they? What are they so happy and excited about? Look at the answer in verse 14. In Revelation 7 and in verse 14, I said to him, sir, you know... You know who these people are. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. These are the ones who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, how we would long to hear those words if we were physically stained with sin. That I can be made white I can be made pure. I can be made clean. Cleansed of my sins. For all of those individuals who have tried for so long to try to work that stain off by their own effort. I'm going to get that stain off by by just doing a lot of good stuff. The way I get the stain removed is by go church and do a lot of good deeds, help people, and be a good person. That's how you get the stain removed. That's how you get the stain removed. Or for maybe the person who tries to remove that stain through the promises of false religion. That if you just say this prayer, the stain will go away. If you just accept Jesus into your heart and just believe in your mind that He's God's Son, then the stain will go away. Oh, the stain's still there. Or even for those who maybe have tried to remove the stain by running away from their stain. By drowning themselves in pleasures and drugs and alcohol, or maybe just a relationship with somebody else, only to wake up the next day and to realize it's still there. With what joy all of those people would receive the good news 
that our stain can be washed away by the blood of Jesus the Christ. That that mark of sin can be finally removed by coming to the Lord. That would not just be good news. That would be the best news. The best news that anyone could hope for. Somebody would maybe then ask them, is there a response that I must make? Is there something that I have to do here? I believe in Jesus. That's a great start. Believe Jesus is God's Son. It's a wonderful start. In fact, believe that enough that you're willing to confess that before others. Yeah, I do believe Jesus is God's Son. The evidence is overwhelming. Is there, is there something else that I need to do here in this? In fact, there is. And that would be that passage right there in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, Peter has been discussing about Noah. Everybody knows about Noah. And about how him and his family, they were saved through water. Peter then makes this parallel in verse 21. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, he says, Baptism. Baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is baptism. It is baptism that washes away the stain of sin. It is not the way to get a ketchup stain out of your tie. Baptism is not a bath to get your body clean. No, Peter says that baptism washes your soul. It washes you clean as nothing else ever could. It washes away the stain of sin. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that the bestest news of all? All praise be to God that we who are stained by sin can be made pure and can be made whole by putting Christ on in baptism and becoming one of God's children. And so, we prepare to sing a song of invitation. In fact, that song, I did ask Stuart to lead this song. Are you washed in the blood? If you have not yet been washed in the blood, cleansed of the stain of sin. Can I ask you, what are you waiting for? What is the holdup? God and His Son have went to incredible lengths to make possible a way, the way, a plan for you to be saved. Why would you not accept that this very hour? The baptistry is ready. So the baptism part, that's, that's just ready. We just, we just need you. Just need you to come here, step forward and say, I do believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Determine within your heart and within your life that, yep, I'm going to leave sin behind. Making that determination today. That's called repentance. Going to turn to God. This morning we can baptize you in water for the forgiveness of your sins. I've been in the water earlier this week. It would be my joy to get in there again. Can we help somebody to obey the gospel? Brother or sister, it may very well be that that stain has reappeared in your life. This invitation is for you as well. To come forward and to confess whatever wrongs are in your life. To seek the help and to seek the support of your brothers and sisters here. We'll pray with you. We'll encourage you. We'll help you in any way that we can. So that we can all be set free from that stain. We can be in heaven someday with the Lord. Don't you want that? If so, make your way down front right now while we stand and while we sing.